Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Hummus Tailgate Party. I'm your host, Thomas Jackson. On today's episode, we're going to be looking back, recapping all of the bowl games that happened since we last chatted. Uh, we are going to be briefly talking about the semifinal and upcoming college football playoff national championship matchup between Alabama and Georgia, but the bulk of that discussion will be saved for an episode later this week where I'm going to have one or two guests on, depending on some scheduling we got to work out, uh, to talk more in depth about the national title game. Thomas Jackson, beautiful podcast from Denver. Before we get into the... Uh, previous bowl action, I wanted to give an update for the Hummus Tailgate Party Bowl Pick'em group real quick when I can get that pulled up. So, in the lead with the record of 21-13 and 13 in the 97.4 percentile nationally is yours truly. In second place, we have someone named Mamurka13, Mamurka13. I don't know who you are, so if you're listening, please text me or tweet me or DM me and let me know. So if you win, I can <laughs> make arrangements accordingly. And in third place, we have Andrew Dindy, who's been hovering around or in the lead basically the whole time this contest has been going on. Uh, those three are the only ones with the chance to win it, as I am one game up on second place our mystery picker, and then two games up on Dindy. He's at 21-14. Um, so with two games remaining, uh, that means that anyone that's three games out has been eliminated, and there's a big cluster of folks there at 20-16. and 16. So good pick in Jackson, Carter, Will, and especially Owen, who probably didn't watch a single quarter of college football all season and definitely doesn't listen to this. But uh, good picking regardless. All of them were there at 20 and 16. Still a good outing. Um, so, yeah, whoever my mystery picker is in second place, please let me know so I can call you out by name uh, and send you a prize if you're able to leapfrog me here in these last couple games. Now getting on to the bowl games, it would behoove me to start anywhere uh, other than the opt-outs. That has been the raging discussion this whole off uh, postseason. <clears throat> I'm going to really try not to beat a dead horse, but I can't not talk about it with how big of a story it's been. Uh, so like I said in the past episode, I don't know if Ohio State's receivers had opted out at that point, but there were, of course, some pretty high-profile players that opted out of big bowl games um, that were not in the playoff so Ohio State's stud duo wide receivers, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, both opted out of the Rose Bowl. Uh, the Peach Bowl was heavily impacted by opt-outs as the two biggest stars in the game, one for, from each team, Pittsburgh's Kenny Pickett and Michigan State's Kenneth Walker III, both opted out. Uh, Pickett was the only Heisman finalist to opt out of his bowl game as Hutchinson, Stroud, and Bryce Young all played. This story went from hot to hotter about the opt-outs uh, when on the morning of New Year's Day during the Rose Bowl College Game Day segment, uh, Kirk Herbstreit and Desmond Howard went on a rant that made them sound 8,000 years old as they were saying that 
you know, essentially they don't make them like they used to. And Kirby actually said football players today just don't love the game. Um, Of course, they are just being wildly hypocritical here because they work for ESPN, who chose to nearly triple the amount of bowl games uh, that are in existence compared to when Herb Street played. Back in the day when he was at Ohio State, uh, there were only 18 bowl games. So yes, it was a more exclusive, bigger deal uh, to the teams who got there. But now this season, there are 44 bowl games because ESPN has figured out that people like to watch them, especially over the holidays. So many people are at home during the days and they can make a lot of good ad money. Um, so ESPN is the one, uh, of course, their employer who created all of these bowl games, yet they only really promote three of them, which are, of course, the two college football playoff semifinal games and the national championship game. So if ESPN shifted their resources a little bit in their marketing department and spent a little more time advertising for all these other bowl games that people that are big college football fans like myself still genuinely enjoy, watching, you know, the Bahamas Bowl at 1 p.m. on a random Tuesday in December. That's always a lot of fun to me, but I get it why, you know, the more uh, casual viewing public doesn't really care about that because all season you've only heard about these four teams that are getting into the college football playoff, and therefore it seems like only three games matter. Uh, But, you know, so ESPN's just got themselves twisted into a pretzel here. And it's, you know, I mean, I know that everyone listening to this probably agrees with me, but it's clear that when players opt out, then young guys are given a chance to break out on a huge stage such as Jackson Smith. And I'm going to butcher the second part of his last double name. Uh, So I'm going to leave it at that for Ohio State because the two wide receivers who are probably going to be both first rounders opted out of the Rose Bowl for Ohio State. He was given a chance to step up and fill in their gaps, and all he did was have 15 receptions for 347 yards and three touchdowns. So while as probably anybody that wasn't a big Ohio State fan or covered the sport for a living probably didn't really know who he was uh, before the Rose Bowl game, now everyone knows because he absolutely balled out on the national scale. Um, you know, Jamar Chase, who just made a lot of noise on Sunday, setting the Bengals all time single game rece- uh, receiving yard record. <clears throat> he opted out of the entire season of 2020. And of course, people were questioning his love for the game or whatever. And he's about to win offensive rookie of the year in the NFL. So, you know, it's just it's ridiculous that these announcers on ESPN who created this problem in the first place are challenging these players' work ethics and dedication to the game and their teammates when, you know, at the end of the day, nobody should judge anybody for trying to make a decision uh, to try to protect the generational wealth that they have coming from the, for them in a few months by entering the NFL. It's a total business to the colleges who put these you know, teams on the field. It's a total business to ESPN who broadcast these games. And it's become a total business to the players as well. So the playing field is being even. They are no longer just pawns on a chessboard. Um, so, you know, it's just ridiculous 
for anyone who gets offended by them sitting out one game because they're, you know, upset that their favorite university or team has a lesser chance to win some bowl game after this player's busted his ass, you know, 365 days a year for the past three to four to five seasons for that university. So it's just all ridiculous. I'm not going to go on any longer about that because I know my audience isn't 80 and all probably agrees with what I'm saying here, but it had to be at least brought up. And now we'll go talk about some of the fun bowl games that I enjoyed watching most this season. I'm going to hold off on these semifinal games and do those at the end as I can kind of segue into a quick Alabama-Georgia preview before we dive deeper later this week. So like I mentioned earlier, there were 44 bowl games total this year. Six were canceled due to coronavirus, which in those couple of days after Christmas was starting to feel like a lot. Um, but thankfully, all of the really high-profile games on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day were not impacted. Um, so, you know, all in all, it's sad that some teams um, didn't get to play, especially when you think it on a, about it on a personal level. That was going to be some guys' last chance to ever put on their shoulder pads and everything if they weren't getting the opportunity to go to the NFL, but... It is what it is, so I'm just glad that the uh, the national title games and the semifinal games weren't, you know, knock on wood, but so far so good, um, and we're going to be able to play the game and someone hold up the national title trophy, it looks like. Um, oh yeah, and then Rutgers stepped in for Texas A&M, that's the only game where they were actually able to find a replacement instead of just canceling um, and to play Wake Forest there. In that bowl game, one of the big storylines kind of developing early on and uh, in the week before New Year's was how the SEC started off 0-4. And and it's we I feel like we do this every year now at now with a lot of teams in the SEC that are clearly not very motivated to play in their bowl game. uh, If they didn't have this type of season that they thought they were going to, um, especially if they've had a coaching change like Florida and everything's just very discombobulated. Well, then the SEC messed around and went 4-1 and one in bowl games on New Year's Eve, which were the two playoff games and New Year's Day bowls, with Ole Miss being the only loss there out of those five matchups for the SEC. Uh, Kentucky and Arkansas got the other couple wins. Um, but yeah, that Ole Miss game, obviously Matt Corral had to leave with a, I think I saw today that it was like a ankle sprain. Nothing was broken, which is good. Um, so hopefully he's okay, obviously, but not that I really care about the whole SEC discussion too much. I'm not really one of these guys. I've got certain SEC teams that I like, uh, but then I'm not going to just root for every single SEC team just because they're the SEC team. Because uh, frankly, Alabama's been carrying the conference for a decade and a half now, with other teams just popping in and out here and there. Uh, so I could really care less about the conference as a whole. But you know, it is clear that year in year out, the SEC is the most talented and competitive conference on the national level. So I will always uh, kind of laugh at the people who try to discredit it in that type of fashion, which they certainly are when they get all excited about SEC starting off 0-4 and a bunch of stupid bowl games where obviously UCF is going to be more fired up to play than Florida in that type of a game. Um, but yeah, SEC really came through in the bigger matchups. 
where the teams had uh, the seasons they were expecting or even exceeded expectations there in those New Year's Eve and New Year's Day bowl games. Uh, so now to move on to a few specific games that I had the most fun watching. The Rose Bowl was probably, all things considered, the best bowl game this year, uh, just given the caliber of the teams, the game itself, the stage. <clears throat> it was certainly one of the greatest Rose Bowls ever. Uh, Utah, I liked them to win this game outright, even though they were uh, four-point underdogs by the time that the ball kicked off. Um, you know, I was kind of thinking Ohio, Utah would be a little more fired up to be there than Ohio State was, and in the first half, they definitely were. We've seen Ohio State get pushed around and bullied by some physical teams such as Oregon and Michigan, and we saw how Utah pushed around and bullied Oregon, who pushed around and bullied Ohio State. So I thought the Utes would win this game outright. They uh, controlled the lead by a couple touchdowns at a time there in the first half. There was one span where there were five touchdowns scored between the two teams in like two and a half minutes of game time it was absolutely electric then things kind of slowed down in the second half for the Utes their quarterback Cameron Rising got hurt and their backup came in uh, who had never thrown a pass in a college football game before with a really heroic effort to lead the Utes back uh, to tie the game up with just a couple minutes left after Ohio State had kind of taken the game over Ohio State's passing game was just too much for Utah to handle in the end. We already talked about their uh, incredible uh, historic receiving performance in, in, you know, in the wake of the absence of their two first-round draft pick receivers. And then C.J. Stroud, of course, someone's got to be throwing the ball to him, went for 573 yards and six touchdowns, both of which are Rose Bowl records. Uh <clears throat> I had a lot of fun watching this Utah team down the stretch this season. It's a shame that their whole season was basically hijacked by Charlie Brewer, the transfer quarterback from Baylor who started the first few games and then eventually left the program in like early October uh, because they blew some games early to, I think, BYU and San Diego State that they should not have lost. And if it weren't for that, they were a playoff caliber team with Cameron Rising. So... I don't really know what they look like going into the off season, but I really hope they get a lot of that team back. I know Rising will be back um, and see you know if they can make a little more serious playoff push and have a more consistent effort for all 12 games of the regular season next year. Moving on to the Music City Bowl. Uh, I know everyone saw this one as well. Uh, the same exact score, actually, as the Rose Bowl, except this one went to overtime with the Purdue Boilermakers taking down Tennessee Vols 48-45 to in one overtime. This was a absolutely hog-wild game in Nashville. It was like it was basically a home game since it was in the state, obviously. But from what I could see on TV, it looked like it was, you know, at least 80 percent uh, gaudy orange there in the uh, Nissan Stadium, I believe it is. It had one of the worst calls I've ever seen in a long time by the referee. Uh, Tennessee went for it on fourth and goal in overtime. They had the ball first, so they had kind of a gutsy decision there to not kick the field goal and just go for six. Uh, the runner kind of looked like he was going to get tackled quickly, then he bounced outside. 
fell on top of a couple Purdue players and kind of like the Michael Dyer uh, run from the 20, uh, 2010 championship game, he was able to extend the ball because he was not technically down being on top of a couple Purdue guys. He very clearly was up. He very clearly got the ball over the end zone. <clears throat> the referee didn't blow the play dead until after he ex- had extended the ball across the the goal line, but he called him down. Therefore, turnover on the field. They went to review, and this was like the most unanimous you'll ever see Twitter. Everyone agreeing that he got into the end zone and that the referees must have been, uh, you know, drinking too much moonshine on uh, Broadway before the game because it was as clear as day that he got in. Uh, The referees did not turn it over, and Purdue then just ran the ball up the gut three times, kicked a field goal, and that was that. Um, yeah, it was it was really bizarre, and as you know, disappointed as I was in the refs, I was even more disappointed in the Tennessee fans for not hauling golf balls and condiment bottles at the referees. I think that y'all left them off way too easy. I want to give props to all the other New Year's Day bowl game winners outside of Ohio State. Because each and one, each and every one of them had really great seasons that I think exceeded their expectations back in September, um, and they were all just really fun, surprising teams to watch this year. Uh, starting off in the Fiesta Bowl, Oklahoma State beat Notre Dame thirty-seven to thirty-five. The Cowboys were obviously knocking at the door of the college football playoff and had a pretty heartbreaking loss. About as bad as it can get to Baylor there in the Big 12 championship to essentially eliminate them from playoff contention. Uh, So I didn't really know how they would come out. Notre Dame seemed to be rallying around Marcus Freeman, their new head coach after Brian Kelly departed for LSU. Oklahoma State came back from 14-0 and 28-14 deficits in this game. Uh, I had Notre Dame, I think like minus two or something like that in our uh, podcast pick'em group. And when I saw the score at 14-0, I thought, okay, this should be a wrap. Oklahoma State probably just has been kind of checked out all December while Notre Dame is trying to rally behind their new coach. And that was not the case. They did rally in the second half to get the Fiesta Bowl victory. Arkansas beat uh, Penn State 24-10. to This was in the Outback Bowl in Tampa. Uh, Sam Pittman really has this thing rolling. This is a huge victory for this team who has not been to bowl games, especially getting victories in a long time. Uh, I think it's a lot of fun that they're back and relevant. I think the SEC is a lot more fun when Arkansas is, you know, at least a respectable opponent, uh, unlike they have been the past few years. And I think this was just one of the overall most fun teams for everyone in the country to watch as they were underdogs, upsetting, uh, you know, quote-unquote better teams now it's clear that Arkansas is a lot better than Texas but that was one of the most fun games I've watched all year when Arkansas put the beat down on them in week two I think it was Um, but yeah the Hogs have a lot of good momentum going into the offseason and it's good to have them back in the mix Kentucky beat Iowa 20 to 17 this was one of the better just flat-out games of the entire bowl slate Uh, It was an amazing last-minute comeback by Will Levis and Wendell Robinson. They charged all the way down the field with just a couple minutes left to take this lead and seal the Sisters Bowl victory. 
you really can't overstate how big of a game this is for Kentucky. They say that the Citrus Bowl is kind of the most prestigious bowl game outside of the playoff and New Year's Six Bowls. So that means a lot that Kentucky was chosen there, and they beat the once at this one time of this year, number two Iowa Hawkeyes, uh, who obviously weren't that in the long run. But two kind of similar programs, and Kentucky and Bob Stoops were able to seal this victory for a 10-win season, which does not happen often there in Lexington. Lastly, Baylor beat Ole Miss 21-7. to This game I was really excited for. It was one of my most anticipated games of the entire month. Uh, but then as soon as Corral went down in the first quarter, you just got a sick feeling in your stomach hoping he was okay, obviously, because he could have opted out, but he didn't. He wanted to play for his team, which is respectable. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it seems like he's, it's just a sprain and it's not going to be anything that affects his draft status. Thank goodness. But after he went down the Ole Miss quarterback, uh, the backup that came in, he was a freshman, didn't have much experience. He had just been in for mop up duty a couple times this season. Um, it took him a while to get going. Once he did, he started to lead a pretty exciting comeback in the, uh, fourth quarter, despite only having seven points. It was Pretty fun to watch for a little while there, but Ole Miss's defense did play pretty well. The offense just kept them out there on the field uh, for a lot of the first half, and neither team could get much going. But, yeah, it's it's a shame that Corral wasn't able to play all four quarters because I think this would have been a much more exciting game and probably gone to the wire, gone down to the wire, or I really think Ole Miss would have won if uh, he had been healthy. But regardless, congratulations to Baylor on an unexpectedly great season. It's really amazing how fast Dave Aranda has turned this program around. What he inherited there was not a very good situation, and you have to wonder how long they will be able to hold on to him. (laughs) So moving on to the semifinal games, Alabama beat Cincinnati in the Cotton Bowl 27-6. Georgia beat Michigan in the Orange Bowl 34-11. If you are not a fan of the Tide or the Dogs, these games were as boring as the scores sound. They were never close, and it was never in question which squad was the much more dominant uh, on the fields there on New Year's Eve. This is continuing the unfortunate trend uh, in the college football playoff semifinals, where before these two matchups... Uh, So from 2014 until last year in 2020, the average margin of victory in the semifinal games was 21. This year was basically on par, although it outsqueaked it by just a hair, uh, with the average margin of victory between Alabama and Georgia being 22. So neither of these games were close. I, I mean, other than that Clemson-Ohio State game in 2019, I'm having a hard time remembering any semifinal games being super close. Um, the Alabama-Ohio State one back in 2014 wasn't uh, out of reach or anything. It wasn't as bad as these, but yeah, it's just it's been a rough go for the um, for the semifinal games and a lot of the national title games have been blowouts as well. The last time there was actually a close competitive national title game in the fourth quarter was when Alabama and Georgia played in Atlanta in the 2017 season. Since then, the last three national title games have been 
blowouts by at least three scores each. Uh, in 2020 last year, Alabama beat Ohio State by 26. In 2019, LSU beat Clemson by 17. And in 2018, Clemson beat Bama by 28. So really in the last, you know, pending this upcoming Bama-Georgia game, um, there's really only been one good college football playoff game, uh, which was that Ohio State-Clemson game that uh, Clemson was able to squeak out there in 2019 and then eventually get blown out by that great LSU team. So I think this game coming up will be close. It would be surprising to me if either team is able to blow the other one out and run away with it, but I guess history says otherwise. But the last time there was a good game in the national title game, it was Bama-Georgia. So for everyone not interested in these two teams per se, it should be at least a close one. little bit about the two teams that will be squaring off um this so rivals who does a lot of the recruiting rankings and ranking the talent of individual players and everything they have team composite rankings every year where instead of ranking a team's like alabama's recruiting class or georgia's recruiting class they'll rank the roster of the current entire teams with all the talent that they've acquired and Alabama is number one and Georgia is number two in this talent composite rankings. Uh, And lastly, just a little bit of history between these two teams. There is certainly no shortage of that. Um, So Georgia has not won since 2007, which was Nick Saban's very first year at Alabama. Today, uh, on Monday night, January the 3rd, actually marks the 15th anniversary of when Saban was hired to coach the Crimson Tide. Since Georgia beat a shorthanded team in overtime in Bryant-Denny in 2007, Alabama is 7-0 against the Bulldogs, including two SEC championships, nope, three SEC championships and one national championship over the Dogs. Um, so many of these were close classics that'll go down and not only SEC, but college football history, such as the 2012 and 2018 SEC championship games. And of course, one of the most famous plays in the history of the sport, the 2017 national title game with second and 26 from Tua to Devontae Smith. This is the third time since the 2009 season that Alabama has been a betting underdog, according to the odds makers in Las Vegas. All three of these times have come against Georgia. The dogs opened up at a two point f- two and a half point favorite against Bama in this upcoming upcoming game. Uh, the total has since moved to three points in Georgia's favor. The over under is right at about fifty two. Uh, Just to remind you, the last time we played about a month ago, uh, actually a month ago tomorrow exactly, Georgia was a seven-point favorite in that game uh, over Alabama. So let's see here. The previous two times that Alabama's been an underdog since 2009 was the 2015 game in Athens between Alabama and Georgia where Alabama won 38-10, to and then after that, 
the last time Alabama was an underdog was just last month in the SEC title game when Alabama won 41 to 24 in Atlanta. So as an underdog against Georgia, Alabama is averaging a 22 and a half point margin of victory, which is pretty good if you ask me. The uh, this one is unique because it's a rematch and neither of the first two were rematches between these two teams. And that obviously offers a much different dynamic uh, to the ball game when you've actually seen the team, you know, across the line of scrimmage from you in person, especially this recently being only four weeks ago, right? It'll be, you know, about five weeks by the time the ball is kicked off in Indianapolis A couple of big rematches in relatively recent history for both of these schools. Uh, The last time Georgia had a same-season rematch against uh, a team was when they avenged a regular season loss to Auburn in the SEC championship game. They won that game 28-7 in the 2017 season. And the last time Alabama had a same-season rematch, they avenged a regular season loss to LSU in the national title game, 21-0 in the 2011 season. So Georgia is in a familiar position to that 2017 year because they lost the first game and they're trying to come back and avenge the loss. Alabama's never been in the position of having won the first matchup and then having to play that same team a second time later in the year. So both of these teams... Uh, you know, winning their avenge game in a bigger matchup, bigger stage. You would think that fair as well for Georgia based on the history of it, uh, the differences. And, and, you know, it may. Maybe that ends up having a huge difference in this game. Uh, we'll get into that more on the episode later this week. But, you know, the differences that, you know, Gus Malzahn and Les Miles are not coaching the team on the other sideline from Georgia on Monday night. So I think it'll be a little bit closer than the uh, outcomes of both of those rematch games, but we shall see one week from now, as I am recording this, it will be about halftime of that national title game. So we're almost there. Don't have too much longer to wait on that one. Um, Like I said, I've got one or two guests in the works Uh, For the upcoming game, I'm going to try to get them both on the podcast. It might just be one or the other, but that will be out probably on Friday, absolutely by Sunday or Monday morning, Um, but I'm going to try to have that out Friday so everyone can try to listen to it either that day or Monday to get ready for the biggest game of the year. So thanks everybody for listening to this episode. Be back in a couple days and talk to you soon. Bye-bye.